thought we would talk on uh, Bhagavad Gita, 5th chapter, 7th verse, unless anybody has some other <coughs> request. All right. Now, if you have any questions, stop me at any time. Uh, doesn't have to be absolutely re related to the verse. We can talk about whatever you like. But let's read the verse and we'll see what kind of creativity at that spurs. Fifth chapter. Seventh verse. Okay, I'll read the Sanskrit and then the, the translation in the purport. Yoga yukto vishudatma vijitatma jitindriyaha sarvabhutatma bhutatma kurvan apinalityate Translation, one who works in devotion, who is a pure soul and who controls his mind and senses is dear to everyone and everyone is dear to him. Though always working, such a man is never entangled. So I'll say it and you can repeat. One who works in devotion. One who works in devotion. Who is a pure soul. Who is a pure soul. And who controls his mind and senses. And controls his mind and senses. Is dear to everyone. Is dear to everyone. And everyone is dear to him. And everyone is dear to him. Though always working. Though always working, such a man is never entangled. That means man or woman. Okay. Nope. So there's no misunderstanding. Purport by His Divine Grace, Shula A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Shula Prabhupada. One who is on the path of liberation by Krishna consciousness is very dear to every living being, and every living being is dear to Him. This is due to His Krishna consciousness. Such a person cannot think of any living being as, a as separate from Krishna, just as the leaves and branches of a tree are not separate from the tree. He knows very well that by pouring the water on the root of the tree, the water will be distributed to all the leaves and branches, or by supplying food to the stomach, the energy is automatically distributed throughout the body. Because one who works in Krishna consciousness is servant to all, he is very dear to everyone. And because everyone is satisfied by his work, he is pure in consciousness. Because he is pure in consciousness, his mind is completely controlled. And because his mind is controlled, his senses are also controlled. Because his mind is always fixed on Krishna, there is no chance of his being deviated from Krishna, nor is there a chance that he will engage his senses in matters other than the service of the Lord. He does not like to hear anything except topics related to Krishna. He does not like to eat anything which is not offered to Krishna, and he does not wish to go anywhere if Krishna is not as involved. Therefore, his senses are controlled. A man of controlled senses cannot be offensive to anyone. One may ask, why was Arjuna offensive in battle to others? Wasn't he in Krishna consciousness? Arjuna was only superficially offensive because, as already has been explained in the second chapter, <clears throat> all the assembled persons on the battlefield would commit, would continue to live individually as the soul cannot be slain. So, spiritually, no one was killed in the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Only their dresses were changed by the order of Krishna, who was personally present. Therefore, Arjuna, while fighting on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, was not really fighting at all. He was simply carrying out the orders of Krishna in full Krishna consciousness. Such a person is never entangled in the reactions of work. Once again. One who works in devotion, who is a pure soul, 
who controls his mind and senses is dear to everyone, and everyone is dear to him. Though always working, such a man is never entangled. So this is an interesting statement by Krishna. One who works in devotion. One who works in devotion. What does that mean? What does that mean? What if you? Uh, what if you're an accountant? Can an accountant work in devotion? Huh? Yeah. How can he work in? How does an accountant work in devotion? Any ideas? The accountant works without attachment to the results, and the results that the accountant does receive is offered and used in Krishna service. Exactly. So he's working in devotion. The devotee of Krishna is always doing everything in devotion. You see, he is. The mind gets trained like that. Either we train the mind, or the mind will train us. One or the other, you know. It's just like uh, we've been talking about a horse. If you ride a horse, you know, uh, if you don't use the bridle, the horse will go wherever he wants to, or he might not go anywhere. He might just stand there, you know. So, but if you use the bridle, you can make the, the horse go, you can make him stop, turn this way, turn that way, you see. So, either we control the mind and train the mind, or it will train us, that it will do whatever it wants to do. Now, some people think, well, I don't know, my mind doesn't control me. But, if I think I am my body, and I think, therefore, that I am my mind, when the mind says, oh, I want to go do this, I think, I want to do this. I'm thinking, I'm wanting this. You see, you may drive by uh, a big sign and it has a big picture of pizza. I've seen these signs where they're advertising pizza. You know, gigantic, you know, big as a wall. And there's a, they're scooping a piece of pizza up and as they're taking away the cheese is clinging to the piece, you know. And a lot of times your mind is going to say, I want pizza. You know, tongue goes, I want pizza. You know, the mind says, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea, Mr. Tongue. Yeah, let's have pizza. The eyes have seen it. The tongue and the, and the eyes are all, they're getting together. And the mind says, I want, I want this, you see. So here, uh, the knee-jerk reaction to a lot of people is, I want pizza. You see. Well, maybe I don't. Maybe I just ate a little while ago. You see. Uh, maybe... Uh, I can't have pizza. Maybe it's off my diet. I can only have pizza once every couple of months or something like that. And I'm on a special diet, you see. So, if you can train the mind. You can train the mind. Immediately, the tongue starts to say, Ooh, that looks good. And the stomach might even chip in and say, Yes, and I'm empty down here. And the mind says, That's off the list of things that we can have. We don't, we don't do pizza. At least not today because of diet or my health, whatever, you know, yeah, so we don't do that. It's just like, that's a good, for instance, sometimes they'll, they'll have a billboard that has a big old juicy steak, and a lot of people would salivate when they looked at it, but, and before we became devotees, we would salivate. We'd look at it, well, oh boy, but look at that. <laughs> what's the name of that place? What's the, what's the address? I gotta go there. You see? So the mind was telling us, I want steak. But then you become a devotee and you start to follow the regulative principles. Meat is not allowed and you've trained yourself. And then all of a sudden you think, in the beginning it was such an austerity, perhaps, for most of, it, of us it was, to give up meat. We think, what does having a great steak have to do with God or religion? What's wrong with having a really good steak? Or, here, you're asking me to give up Colonel Sanders for crying out loud. What kind of religion is this? You know? I actually thought like that when I first started hearing about Krishna consciousness. What the heck's this got to do? What kind of, what kind of people are you guys anyway? You want me to give up steaks? And no more hot dogs and hamburgers? Come on! 
can't be an American religion. No barbecue. Certainly, this religion is not for Texas. That's for sure. <laughs> so it seems like a big austerity to let go of meat. But then, after a very short while, when we have a change of heart, the consciousness becomes purified. You see, by chanting Hare Krishna, by taking prasadam, by having a nice kirtan, associating with devotees, we have a change of heart. You see, it's really a change of heart. And now, uh, after that change of heart, to have steak, to eat steak, would be a tremendous austerity. You see, it would be horrible. If you were on a a desert island and you had nothing to eat but you had to eat some creatures, you know, fish or something like that, it would be terrible. You wouldn't like it. You may have to do that to stay alive. You may not have any choice. Because you're thinking, well, I've got to stay alive to serve Krishna. It would be terrible. Every bite would be horrible. You see? So, you've had a paradigm shift. That's called a paradigm shift. The steak is exactly the same as it was before you had your change of heart. The steak didn't change. It's not ugly. It's not any uglier than it was before. Your vision has changed. Now, you've started to control your mind. You've trained your mind. This is off limits. You can do that. Uh, Industry has spent millions, uh, mega millions, on finding out. Because, you know, it takes a long time when you hire somebody new. It takes a long time to get them up to speed. You know, approximately 90 days. So if I hire a new employee, it's taken about 90 days before they're really productive. And I've got to pay them all this time, you know. Now it's on a, it's ramping up. Starts out they're zero productive and it kind of goes like this. But to get up to full speed, about 90 days. So they've, they've done a lot of research on how can we shorten that to, our, to make our profits bigger. And they found that in an average person, average intelligence, that it takes 21 days to create a habit. 21 days. A little less for some, a little more for others, but typically around 21 days. So in other words, if I do something at the same time every day, for 21 straight days, at the end of that 21-day period, I don't have to remember to do it. It becomes, it's, now it's, it's habit. My mind just knows to do it. It might be quicker, it might be a little longer, but on an average, three weeks, you see. So, that's training the mind. That task that you're doing becomes embedded in the subconscious, you see. So, the, the first three weeks, of an employee's training are the most intense. Industries decided we've got to get them, you know, three weeks, we've got to get them every day. You know, it's got to be the same thing every day. We've got to give them that routine to get them trained, you see. So the devotee who wants to take up uh, some practical habits, devotional habits, therefore we have a routine. You chant your rounds every day. You see, if you chant your rounds at the same time every day, uh, if you do it the same way every day for three weeks, on the 21st, 22nd day, it's. If you don't, if something happens to where you can't chant your rounds or you're not, you're going to miss it. Your mind is saying, "Hey, wait a minute, something's wrong here." Oh, see, what's what's different? Oh, we're not chanting. You see, it comes embedded in the subconscious. So, therefore, we can start to control the mind. The mind becomes purified. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Mind becomes purified. That's uh, uh, Vishuddha Atma. He's a purified soul, the Vishuddha Atma. Atma is soul, Vishuddha. He's purified. This is one who is engaged in devotional service becomes Vishuddha Atma. Yes, he becomes a purified soul. Vijita Atma, he becomes self-control. You get purified in your thinking, then you get self-control. You're able to control, you see, uh, 
It, it gives you a strength that you may not have in spiritual life. Self-control. It means it, life is a process of accepting and rejecting. You see? All day long you're accepting and re rejecting. You see? So spiritual life is just like ordinary life in that we are accepting and rejecting. If you are trying to be a profitable businessman, you accept things which are profitable and you reject things which are not profitable. You accept activities that will bring profit and you reject activities that will uh, that will bring a loss. Common sense, you see. So, once one has a purified mind, becomes a purified soul, now spiritually we learn how to accept and reject. I accept things that are favorable to my spiritual advancement and I reject things that are unfavorable to my spiritual advancement. You see? So it's not a... Uh, a lot of people have this thinking that to take up religion or some religious practice, oh, that's a lot of work. Hare Krishna, come on in, good to see you. You see, that's a lot of work. Now I'm taking up this religious practice, and now I've got to work so hard, it's going to be an austerity. Well, in America, that word austerity, that's a four-letter word. I don't want to do anything austere. But it's only austere because it's the way we see it. We're seeing it differently. You know? We're in material consciousness. And we're accepting and rejecting actions and thoughts based on our material consciousness. When we become purified, when we, when we get that uh, purification, we have that change of heart, the brain is, is purified, then all of a sudden we start seeing it on a different paradigm. You see? We're able to accept and reject things on a spiritual basis. We're able to determine what's good for me spiritually and what's not good for me spiritually. You see? Does that make any sense? So, yes, it may look like it's not going to be fun when I'm in material consciousness. It may not look like it's going to be any fun to come to the temple, to go through the programs, to chant Hare Krishna, you know, to offer my food before I eat it. I mean, come on, boy, I can barely wait till I get it out of the pan. <laughs> what the heck with getting it on a plate? I want to eat it out of the pan, you know. You see that a lot in America. In America, they do like that. They never That would never be done in India. They show, you'll see like uh, commercials and TV shows where mom's in the kitchen cooking and dad comes in. What you cooking, honey? Spaghetti. Here. She dips it right out of the pot with it. You know, oh, it tastes. You know, dad's like, oh, wonderful. Maybe a little bit more salt. And then she takes that spoon that he just had in his mouth and puts it right back in the pot and starts stirring. You know. <laughs> They're eating it right out of the pot. A lot of people, a lot of times people, while they're cooking, they'll just eat it. You know? Which is okay. It's okay. But it's not okay for spiritual consciousness. Why? Because we want Krishna to be the first to taste what we're cooking. You see? We want Krishna to be the first. So it may seem like an austerity to not only not taste it while I'm cooking it, and not taste it before it gets in the plate, and not taste it until after Krishna eats, you see. But it gets to the point when your consciousness is purified that it would be a great austerity if somebody would, would, you know, would offer you something, the first thing your mind says is, is that offered? Yeah. Say, you know. Now, if you know the person, if uh, Jarrell or Jack Cashman or someone, Offers you something. Well, you're gonna, you know, it's offered. You see, you know it right away. Your, your mind immediately knows it. So he immediately accepted his prasada. You see. Hey, look who's back. Yay! You see what I mean? You made it immediately accepted as prasada. You know it is, because that person wouldn't accept anything that wasn't prasadam. So they wouldn't, whatever they're offering has got to be prasadam. If it's from somebody else, 
like if you're like you know we were at the college the other day the booth next to us they had these uh, nice pastries you see well I know they didn't offer those to Krishna or to Lord Jesus Christ or to Buddha or anybody they just cook them and they're going to eat them you see so if they say hey would you like a bite thinking you know, knee jerk reaction I can't eat that it's not offered well, it's a beautiful pastry. I mean, it's gorgeous. They were pretty. You know. Ours were prettier, but well, that's another thing. You know, that's another. That, your mind will work like that if it's coming from somebody that I don't think has been had their mind purified. Who knows what they put in it? More than likely, it's filled with eggs. You know, they're eating it while they're preparing it. But to speak of offering it to Krishna, you see. So the mind, all of a sudden, now that it's in a purified stage, it's able to think, accept, and reject on a spiritual basis. And it's not an austerity. It's not. No matter how beautiful that pastry is somebody's handing you, immediately the mind, which now you've started, you've got, you've got the mind trained, the, the mind says, put on the brakes. There's probably eggs in that. Who knows what they used? They probably ate it before they offered it, or they didn't offer it at all. You see? Mind starts to do that. Whereas if it's a devotee that's offering it to you, then immediately you know, oh, it's prasada. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. You see? That's how it works. It's uh, seeing uh, the, the word paradigm. Uh, it, a few years ago, that word was overused a whole lot. And a lot of you hear, hear that, yeah. you know, it was used, overused. They used it when it, was, it, it didn't work. But the paradigm means a lens through which you see the world. You see? If you, if you look at the world through uh, rose-colored glasses, as I say, sunglasses that are rose-colored, everything looks rosy. It looks rose-colored. And yet you can look at the same world through dark glasses and everything looks dark. But it's the same world. It's just your vision, you see. So this is the nature of illusion. We see things a certain way. <clears throat> what makes you think you're right? How do we know we're right? Are we concerned about being right? If we are concerned, then we have to think on a spiritual basis because the spiritual basis is real. It's reality. Why is it reality? Because it's eternal. Spiritual things are eternal. They come from God. Words of God, you see, like that. Spiritual things are eternal. Material things are temporary. They have a beginning, a duration, and an end. You see. So it's 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 a it's a simple process, really. It may sound complicated, very simple. So it takes some time to train the mind, to get the mind in your corner and make your mind your advocate. And in the beginning we think, I hear you, but boy, I don't want my mind to be my advocate, you know, because if, if I'm driving along and I see that billboard of pizza and my mind wants pizza, why don't I just go get one? Darn it. You know? If I'm driving along and it's 110 degrees, it gets 110 degrees here, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's 110 degrees and your air conditioner's not working. And you're driving along. You ever have that? <laughs> so you're like, whoa. And you pass this big billboard and they've got this big uh, beer and a fresh Budweiser that just came out of the ice and droplets of water are all over it. You know, and your mind says, "Whoa, that's the ticket." <laughs> you know, I got this water with me here in the car, but it's 100 degrees. It's 110 outside. My water is 100, 105. You know, but a nice cold beer wouldn't hurt anything. Come on, a beer? You're going to go to hell because you have a beer? And you're saying, you know, my dear mind, you sound pretty intelligent. <laughs> let's, uh, hey, there's a place right there. Yeah, let's, let's go in there and check it out. A beer or two, 
Oh. It's a balance. Oh. Right? It's a balance. Is it a balance? So what, what's the harm of having one beer? Oh, the harm of having a beer. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's turn it around. Let's say that uh, what is the harm? Now, this may be a crude example, but what's, let, let's go with it, okay? Endure me, please. <laughs> what would be the harm of your husband kissing one girl. <laughs> Other than you. I mean, I'm not talking a little, I mean a real, real kiss, you know. One of those lingering. <laughs> what if it was worse than that? What was one affair? Just one. You're married 25, 35, 40 years, and he, and he only had an affair. For a year. I guess my fear would be maybe you'd want another kiss and then another kiss and another oh, kiss after that, right? Yeah. But if it's just one kiss. <laughs> but this is the matter of the stomach and the thirst. Didn't want to have a desire for that one kiss. Huh? One passionate kiss with some other lady. No, we're trying to give up things. We're trying to accept things that are favorable and reject things that are unfavorable to our spiritual advancement. Yeah. You see? Yeah. It's just like, what's the harm of having one burger, one big, juicy Big Mac? <laughs> They still have Big Macs? Yes. Yeah. They're still not juicy. No. <laughs> <laughs> they always talk about a juicy hamburger. Yeah. Yeah, a juicy it's hamburger. It's not juice, it's grease. So you know, why do we have these regulatory principles? If it's not for addiction, if it's not for more than one drink, why is it so important not to have anything to drink or anyone to kiss? Or... Uh, uh, it's a question of love. It's a question of loyalty, you see. It's a question of, um, uh, what's the word when you, uh, uh, let's say when a husband is true or wife is faithful. true. Uh, faithful. There's another word though. Fidelity. Fidelity. There's a question of fidelity. Respect. You know, which is a self-respect that goes down to your soul, you see. The purity uh, of our love. It, there's, a, there's a purity involved here. <clears throat> Uh, I'm making a promise to Guru and Krishna that I want, first, first of all, my dear Lord, I've, I've had enough of the material world and I, I, want, I want you. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of performing material activities and I want to perform spiritual activities. I'm tired of doing things that, uh, for me. I'm, tried, I'm tired of me being the center of my universe and I want to put you in the center of my universe. So Krishna says, okay, that's very good. Find my pure devotee and surrender to him. Serve him. So then the, the, you find the guru, and the guru says, I'll oh, give up intoxication, meat-eating, illicit sex, and gambling. You see? So what's this all about? Krishna wants to know. Are you sure? You know, are you going to be sincere? You've been on this, you, you, you left the spiritual world you know, a uh, hundred trillion years ago, and you've had every birth, you, you've, you've had a birth in all of the 8,400,000 species of life again and again. There's not a planet in the whole so cosmos that you haven't been on to have a life. And so now here we are, and it looks like you may be sincere. Mm. But um, I need you to show me. You know, Krishna says, uh, I'm not cheap. You know, you want, you want to have a love affair with me. Well, it's not cheap. You can't love me today and leave me tomorrow. You see? I'm Krishna. You see, it's okay. Krishna, when he's a little cocky, it's beautiful. You know, because it's part of his attraction. He's, a, he's cocky because he's Krishna. You see, he's that. He is everything. And he knows it. 
you see. So Krishna says, look, you're talking to me. I don't take cheap love. I'm the big guy. I'm the source of love. I am love personified. You're in big leagues when you're talking love with me. I mean, bigger than you've ever thought of before. So therefore, i got to know that this is a real, true love. You see, so it's, it's a question of fidelity. Can you make a promise and keep it? Can you raise your consciousness to the point to where your mind will automatically reject anything that would be uh, detrimental to your relationship with Krishna? Or that might even give him the thought, you see, we don't want Krishna to think for a moment. I wouldn't even want him to be mistaken. Could Krishna be mistaken? I don't think so, but I don't know. I don't want him to. I don't want to get close to it. You see, I don't want to get close to being uh, 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 having infidelity. You see, with, with my Lord. You see what I mean? So, uh, when someone feels that it, what's the harm? then their fidelity isn't mature, you see. It's just not mature yet. Will it cause them to go to hell? Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, even if they went on a, on a binge for a month, drinking and whatever, is it going to cause them to give up Krishna consciousness? Maybe, probably not, but what is it going to do with your relationship with Krishna? I mean, we start to think, what is Krishna? What does he think? How does he feel? We start thinking of God as having feelings. Why doesn't God have feelings? He has supreme feelings, you see. So that means he can have a supreme broken heart. I mean, think about that. A supreme broken heart. We're not talking about a broken heart like we've experienced in the material world. And the devotee would never want Krishna to ache, to hurt. Oh, I thought you were coming back to me. How long will be? When you go back home, back to Godhead, Krishna will greet you. And after Krishna greets you, he will embrace you. And he will say, oh, my son, my son, why have you been gone so long? And then he faints. It's the, the shock of you returning, faints. That's high drama. <laughs> hey, he's the king of drama. Drama comes from him. I was, I was going to say something about it. Well, it was, it was more like a, a further commentary on... in. The, it's interesting the word when we're talking about drinking, and you know, you're looking at someone who used to love drinking beer um, and wine sometimes too. But you know, this is early on. Um, but I used to work with um, runaway teenagers for many, many years in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. So I saw the net effect, and these were kids that you know, usually when kids run away uh, from dysfunctional, they run to big cities like New York. San Francisco, Los Angeles. And so we were working with these kids, and I was a counselor working with these kids. And some of these, you know, you know, beautiful kids, you know, that they're just a mess, you know, psychologically. And uh, they would get involved with, sooner or later they were into um, uh, street prostitution, uh, drug use, uh, alcohol, whatever. And you'd see within a short period of time the transformation of their just their whole countenance, their whole body would change, their whole aura would change, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But that word intoxication was very even within that word is that word toxic, which simply means poison. Yeah. So once you see the visible effects, I mean, we're trained in a society where drinking on a social level is considered to be acceptable. It even has a certain glamour. Even encouraged. Yeah, even encouraged. Yeah. But on the low level of that behavior is what I saw in the realm of the kids that I was working with all the time. So I saw the net effect. So it wasn't long before I was, you know, it, that, that very 
visual cause and effect relationship between what people do, their behavior, what they bring into the body temple is a teaching in and of itself. Yeah. It's, it's worse than the toxin itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the material energy uh, has the job of showing us these things, mm -hmm. glamorizing intoxication. Mm -hmm. Someone who's a wine connoisseur. Right. right. He's very well barbered, very well dressed, drives a great car, lives in a great house, has a fabulous life. In Napa Valley. And yeah, and he has a wine cellar and a wine cooler, and he's the kind of guy everybody wants to be. And then after several years, his liver's falling out, you know? So it's just like, uh, I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember, but you know, uh, back in the older, the old days, <laughs> uh, I remember the movies of Humphrey Bogart. You know, uh, many of those movies of the 50s and 40s. Have you ever seen many of those? You ever see Bogey without a cigarette? No, never. Oh, always had a cigarette. So. <laughs> Play it again, Sham. That's good. <laughs> so it was like part of what they did. The move in the movies, many times the scene was full of smoke. It's a black and white movie, and there one guy smoking, another guy smoking, a lady comes in and she lights one up, and the room is full of smoke. And it was like when I was a kid, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I just had one of those. You know? <laughs> so I, I, you know, I'd wait till my stepfather had about. One beer too many, I'd steal one of his cigarettes, you know. You know, I was just a kid, little kid. Cough. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to be like Bogey so that, you know. And then, you know, and, and, um, in World War II, the government bought cigarettes and shipped them overseas to the men that were in, over there. They just gave them, here you go. You know, the old saying, smoke them if you got them. Whenever you get together, okay, smoke them if you got them. And if some guy had cigarettes and you didn't, he'd say, here you go, buddy, you know. Nobody ever asked, do you smoke? Yeah, here you go. So it was kind of like, it was, as a matter of fact, it was, it, it was common knowledge back in, knowledge, considered knowledge, that it was actually good for you. Smoking was good for you. See? And then, as with so many things, society changed its mind. Now it's saying, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, the warning on the on the pack. Uh, I don't think they're allowed to to to, to advertise uh, cigarettes on television anymore. Yeah. You see, it used to be cigarettes were all over the mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Winston tastes good like, like a, a cigarette, cigarette should. should. Remember that? See, they got really catchy jingles. Yeah, the old yeah. yeah. around then. Remember? Yeah, that? handsome. Handsome people yeah. smoking a cigarette and looking like <laughs> healthy, <sighs> and your mind would just water for it. You know, I remember watching the beer commercials on the. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, watching the Cubs or Sox games, and it was uh, the the sponsor was a, a Midwestern beer company, you know, Hams Hams beer, and they would make those beers. And here we are in Chicago in the summer. And we didn't have air conditioning in those days, <coughs> so it's it's hot and humid, and you're watching these people drink the, the well. They pour the beer, and a little bit of the foam runs down the edge, and the glass has got frost all over it. And you just you just you know, even though you're six years old, you're thinking, oh boy, I can't get anything. Mm -hmm. me. So uh, you're now feeling like having a beer. <laughs> huh? Say what? We are now feeling like having a beer. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you end up wanting a cigarette and a smoke. <laughs> you know, I look over. I look over my. I look over my stepfather and my stepfather and all his friends that are sitting there. They've got a cigarette and a beer. You know, they're all. Oh. Why not me? Okay, when I get old enough. Whoa, the first thing I'm gonna do is get. Got to be a ham spirit. Yes. A while ago, we were testing kids and associating pictures with, you know, like a ham for hamburger. Okay, and a picture will put the ham for McDonald's with a hamburger or something. And that 
we find out that this little girl associated the camel with the cigarette. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, there was another commercial. Uh, I'd walk a mile for a camel. Remember that? Uh -huh. I'd walk a mile to have some toxic smoke in my lungs. Yeah. But then, um, you know, society starts saying, no, this isn't good for you. After there's enough heavy-duty proof, you know, then they start saying, okay, don't do that. So now you know. the cigarette manufacturers are making the, the nicotine gum in patches to get you off of their product. Yeah. So they continue yeah. making a profit. <laughs> They're going to make a profit one way or the other. You know. So you see how the mind can be trained by material energy. It, 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 it's going on every minute. And it's subtle. We don't always know that this is happening. Our mind is being trained. The devotee, however, starts to reject uh, these things that are unfavorable. Immediately rejects it. Because it's like we were talking the other day about um, becoming spiritual, and I mean really spiritual, seriously spiritual, uh, forming a love affair with God. Is um, it, it, it will purify the mind by performing devotional service. The mind becomes purified. When the mind becomes purified, we see the man behind the curtain. You know in The Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy saw the man behind the curtain, all of a sudden she realized, hey, wait a minute, this is all a scam. She was thinking the wizard with this, this big head that was talking to her that was as big as a building, and the flames were going up. You remember the scene? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, Toto, I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, discovers the man behind the curtain. And she sees it, and he's, pay no, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But once you see the man behind the curtain, well, I can't go back to illusion. I know that this guy's a scam. This isn't you. That's you over there. So spiritual life will do this. It will open your eyes to the material world. It's a scam. It's all a scam. You're being had. You see? So, uh, this desire may be for a beer or a smoke. It's a scam. The whole thing about beer to begin with is a scam. You see? We're uh, like on the you know, middle plane of like, you know, maybe there are some regulatory principles that maybe aren't as potent as others, right? So, is it okay just to, you know, you know, not follow those and still be spiritual, still be... Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's okay. I'm not saying, oh, by, by all means. I'm saying that you have to go at your own pace. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you can't turn the mind around, don't become uh, disappointed and decide, well, this can't be done. By all means, don't say, well, this is okay. Mm -hmm. Be honest with yourself. To thine own self be true. Is that Shakespeare? I think it is. I think, yes. yeah. Yeah. To thine own self be true. The rest of the world may lie to you. The advertising and the material energy may try to pull a scam on you. At least we should be honest with us. You see. We deserve it. In a world of untruth, temporary things, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, let's let's love ourselves enough to be honest with ourselves. I may lie to everybody else, but at least to me, it'll it'll improve our lives phenomenally if we're honest with ourselves. If we can say to ourselves, "You were wrong." You have a confrontation with somebody, and you're arguing that you're right, and they're saying, and and you can walk away and say, "You know, you were wrong." Now that's, that's liking yourself. When you get to the point where you can, as they say, live in your skin. I can live in my skin. You ever heard people say that? You, know, you could say, well, you know, you're this, you're a failure, you don't have any money, and you, you lost your job, and uh, your dog ran away, your cat got run over, Fluffy got run over, you see. And you say, yeah, but I can live in my skin. When I look in the mirror in the morning to brush my teeth, I don't have to say, you snake. You say, At least I know who I am. 
you know. And if I'm a rotten guy, I'll admit it. Just admit, yeah, I'm a rotten guy. But I want to be better. And I'm willing to accept help. I'm, not, I'm a work in progress. I'm not there yet. But I want to be. So don't let yourself slide. You know, if you find that there's some difficulty uh, and you feel that, that, um, um, that we're going to do something that perhaps isn't the best thing for us, you see, on our mission. We have a mission. I want to I go back to Godhead, you see. So something, the mind wants to do something that's going to deter us from the mission, slightly. And we may agree. But don't say, well, that's okay. Tell yourself, this isn't right. I'm doing it. But it's not right. See? Does that make any sense? Just be honest with yourself. I mean, you know, like, uh, what's the harm of eating one, one big steak? What's the harm? You'll digest it. Tomorrow's another day. The problem is you'll know it. You'll know you did it. You know, if you go out and, and have uh, a few beers, you'll know you did it, you see. It's like I heard this one guy say one time that uh, he was on a business, uh, con at a business convention, and uh, there were some uh, loose ladies there. And the, the men were going and having some uh, company with the, the loose ladies. And uh, this one guy said, come on, are you coming with us? He said, no, I'm not going to go. He said, what are you talking about? Nobody's ever going to know. Your wife will never know. He says, you know what, though, but I'm going to know. He said, I'm going to have to be with her, looking her in the eye, and his thought's going to be in my mind. Yeah. Ain't going to happen. You know? This ain't going to happen. I'm not going to do that to myself. You know, I overheard that conversation. I thought, now that guy's got his head on straight. See? Yeah, could have been, maybe it could have been some enjoyment. <clears throat> At that moment, it may seem like, well, I'm going to have a memory that'll last the rest of my life. Well, this would be a great me memory. <clears throat> See? But it might be a memory that'll haunt you. you know? And you're thinking, I can't ever tell. Maybe on my deathbed, I'll tell them. Well, remember when I was at the convention? And, you know, what are you going to do with this? How will you process this? So when there's devotion, commitment, love, fidelity, when you, uh, when you accept the principles of religion, it's just like there's this um, uh, Stephen Covey. Uh, he was very famous uh, self-help guru. Back in the 90s, he was very popular. He used paradigm a lot. <coughs> yeah. The word. Yeah, he used that a lot. Uh, I think I learned it from him. Me too. When yeah. I first saw it, I had to get a dictionary and think about the, it. The seven habits of a highly successful. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. It's, it's good. You can use that philosophy in business. It's oh, yeah. brilliant. It's and also in spiritual life. Yes. Mm -hmm. You can use that. Mm -hmm. You know? But uh, he was saying that we all have to figure out, before we go through our life, let's figure out who we are. Who are you? Figure out. Make, and make that statement to the world. This is who I am, and this is what I stand for. That gives you character and personality. And to do that, you have to have principles. And I was thinking of Srila Prabhupada, and he was, you have to have principles. And you have to remember, once you find out what those principles are that make you, that you can never, ever break your principles. You can only break yourself against them. You see? You can't break your principles. That's a strong, strong person. You see? It's not even in the cards. You see? Ain't gonna happen. So we do it uh, by giving up the desire. We have to give up the desire to have a steak or a beer or a glass of wine or um, a night on the town with a, uh, someone else, you see. 
Yeah, did you have a question? Um, just in what you were both saying, and that was so just perfect how you explained that, and you know, so true. But on the path, I think it's not but, on the path, it's so hard sometimes to know because of the, um, you know, the constant progress it takes to understand how our regulation is really feeding all the joy, you know, it's creating all the joy and all the knowledge, all that bliss that we have in our life. And so it's like if, if that man went out and was with someone else, he would forever change the pure love that he had with his life. He would no longer have it anymore. And so, like anything, you know, it's understandable that we all have desires, you know, people who smoke, people who drink, people who um, engage in illicit sex, they're all looking for some kind of satisfaction. And those desires are natural, and I think if we understand that, then we can recognize that they're, they're just, they're, the, the benefit they give is short-lived and there's a price to pay. And that price is, you know, <coughs> worse than the benefit. So really, ultimately, there is no benefit. But if we can turn those desires towards our spiritual growth, then we find true satisfaction. We find that actually, you know, by doing yoga, what a cigarette smoker is seeking is a certain brain chemical that produces a sensation that then causes them to feel more alive and awake. So that's what the cigarette does. Well, it's even more than that. It's uh, uh, what what is the the mental process for the living entity who wants to enjoy? Mm -hmm. You see, yeah. Why? Why does the living entity have these feelings that I want to enjoy? Mm -hmm. Because it's your nature. It's who you are. Mm -hmm. The living entity, the soul, the soul has, uh, uh, is sat chitananda, sat eternal. Your nature is you are eternal. Chit, full of knowledge. You know everything. In the spiritual, in the liberated stage, and ananda, eternally blissful. <clears throat> it is your nature. As you, if you're liberated from this body, to be completely happy, blissful, not just feeling okay, but blissful, you know, the kind of bliss that you feel when you just want to dance. Yeah. You see, that is who we are. So, when, uh, what is the source of Ananda? Krishna. Krishna, Ananda, Jiva, Nanda. The the Jiva is the soul. Ananda is bliss. Krishna is the bliss of the living entity. He is our bliss. He's the highest bliss. The kind of bliss that if we could actually experience it, everything else would be like rubbish. You know, it would be, you see. So, um, let's just use that scenario. What if somebody, what if you're, if you have a desire for a beer? You want to you have, it's a hot day, 110 degrees, and uh, you'd like a nice cold beer. But what if the only beer you could find is one of these really horrible, off-brand, yucky beers, low-class, low-cost? Would that do it? Is that going to be okay? No, you're going to want something better than that. In other words, you want to experience a higher taste. You have experienced a higher taste in beer. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, people who smoke cigarettes, they, won't, they don't go into the store and say, give me a pack of cigarettes. I'm sorry, sir, what brand? I don't care, just give me one. American no, they've got, they've got this taste in mind. I want a pack of Camels or Winston's. I want Camel Filter, Extra Long, Light, whatever, you know, they have this, they have this thing that they want. That, it's, the t it's a perceived taste when they walk in the door. That's what I want. And if the guy says, well, we don't have those, well, he's gonna, you're going to be upset. Well, I don't know. I don't, gosh, why don't you have those? You know, it's a popular brand. What kind of place is this? You, see, you want that. I want that. 
So in other words, in my mind, I've experienced the highest taste in cigarettes. And if somebody gives me brand X, somebody says, well, I got some that the guy makes down the street. They're, you know, these are Phil's cigarettes. You know, <laughs> get out of here. You know, I want my Camels or my Winstons. I mean, Phil's cigarettes. You know. If you want, uh, you want wine. You know, you want. I don't know what the, a brand of wine. You know, but, huh? Blue Nun. You know, you want Blue Nun. If someone says, well, we got Phil's Phil's wine. It's uh. Let's see, it was made Tuesday. You know, like that. I don't want that. Get that away from me. Or I got some beer, we just made it in the bathtub. You know, it's ice cold. I don't want that stuff. You know, I want a Budweiser or a Corona. You see, it's, it's the mind. It's just the mind. Is what a, a friend of mine said, well, it all, but you know, how could we choose between alcohol? It all tastes like cat urine anyway. <laughs> how do you know? How do you know? <laughs> a friend of mine said that. He said, it tastes like cat urine. So, uh, it looks like a urine specimen, doesn't it? <laughs> With foam on it. So, so, yeah, the living entity is expecting, uh, is wanting and, and demanding to be. Uh, and entertained and to feel bliss at every moment. We don't want to go without it. And that bliss, the highest bliss, is Krishna. Why should we settle for anything less? Why should we don't have to? I don't have to. I simply don't have to. You see? So uh, if I can have Krishna and I can, then I want Krishna. You see? This is like the um, uh, Dhruva Maharaj. Dhruva Maharaj, uh, he, when he was a child, this many thousands of years ago, Dhruva Maharaj was, um, his, his father, the king, uh, had many different wives. And Dhruva Maharaj wasn't the, wasn't the son of the favorite wife, you see. So one time he was sitting on his father's lap, and the son of the favorite wife, the favorite wife came up and wanted on the father's lap, on the king's lap. And the king pushed Dhruva Maharaj off, pushed Dhruva off. Little Dhruva, he wasn't Maharaj yet, but he pushed him off and he took the other kid. And it, this broke Dhruva's heart. It just broke his heart. And he set out on a mission. I'm, I want to have a kingdom bigger than my, fa my father's. I want to have, I want to have a kingdom that will make my father's kingdom look like dirt, like a slum. And he lived his life like that. And he went to the forest and he started to meditate and he was chanting. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. And he did this again and again and again. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Offering respect to Krishna. And he did this for six months, constantly, without stopping to eat or anything or sleep. And then after six months of Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, he felt the presence and he opened his eyes and there stood Krishna. There stands Krishna. And Krishna said, my dear boy, you have, pre you have pleased me greatly. I'm here to give you any boon that you want. Whatever you want, you can have. So here's your moment. What would you like? And Dhruva looked at Krishna and he said, My dear Lord, I only want you. I want you. I want to own you. All I, I wanted jewels and a great kingdom, but all those jewels I wanted now look like pieces of broken glass, now that I've seen you. So Krishna said, All right, you can have me but I'm going to give you this kingdom you desire anyway. So he gave him a whole planet. And we can see that planet sometimes. It's called Druvalok. It's also known as the, as the North Star. It's the brightest in the sky. So Krishna was so pleased that Druva saying, I don't want anything, I just want you. But he gave him everything. You see? So that's the way it works. When we give up the desire, Krishna will give you everything. 
And you may think, but I don't want anything. Krishna says, but I want you to have it. And you think, well, if you give it to me, I'm just going to use it in your service. And Krishna says, I know you will, as you like. You see? So, all right, I think uh, we've gone past. It's like 8.05, so maybe time that we go take prasada. All right, and we'll do this again next week. Okay. Thank you so much. All the way to Shubhra.